You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, fresh and frenzied frat of free-thinking friends. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 54, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your snappy and snarky, snickering snoopers. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. All right, let's jump into our first trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hotshot. And this one's a little bit different. We got a lot of good listener mail from our Trivia About Trivia episode. Uh, We talked about who wants to be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. Clyde from Maryland wrote in, and he said that he was actually a contestant on the show. Hey. So Clyde said... I was on the syndicated version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with Meredith Vieira. Unfortunately, Clyde did not make it to the million dollar question, but he did go home with $25,000 and a very cool story and a cool experience. And here's his final question. And I'm going to ask you guys. All right. All right. It's a $50,000 question. A person who has rhoticism, and that's R-H-O-T-A-C-I-S-M, rhoticism, would most likely seek treatment from which of these professionals? Oh, okay. A, cardiologist. B, ophthalmologist. C, speech therapist. D, massage therapist. I think mm. it's ophthalmologist. That's what I, I, I wonder I if, I mean, I don't know if I would wager $25,000 on it, but if it was the, if it's like the rods in your eyes or something like yeah, that or whatever, I would um, say ophthalmologist. Which is like an eye doctor. Right? Yeah, right. Rhoticism. R H O T A C I S M. Like rhoticism. Rhoticism. I wonder if why. rotoscope yeah. is throwing me off. It's not spelled that way, though. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Or is it the Greek letter rho, oh. perhaps? I don't know why. Something something just it says It seemed like eyes. an eye thing. Yeah, I don't know. Joe Bloggs answer, but yeah. Well, what is it? It is speech therapy. Ah. Colin, you actually, you're close. So rhoticism is the inability to pronounce the letter R correctly. Oh, wow. So it is based on rho, sort of. Interesting. And to continue our Who Wants to Be a Millionaire pop quiz hotshot, Mr. Logan Steele also wrote in, he used to be a producer on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Hmm. And he has a couple of questions uh, for us. Too. With a name like Logan Steele. I yeah. know. I think going to be an action star. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here we go. What year did Kurt Cobain leave the world and Justin Bieber enter it? <laughs> was it 94? Uh, I think it was, 90, it was 93 or 94. <laughs> Let's go with 94. I'll go 94. Final answer? Yeah. Sure, why not? It is 1994. Yay. Good job. All right. Hindsight is 2020, but what's legally blind? Oh, I read this once. What is it? I remember thinking it was shockingly high the uh-huh. ratio. Oh, this is we had no multiple choices here, huh? Right. No. I um, want to say it's 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 like 2080. I think it's higher than that. I think oh, it's like really? 2200 or something. I don't know. I I have no idea. What is it? It is 2100. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Next question. Would it take less time to sync with the Titanic or watch the movie? <laughs> <laughs> sync with the Titanic. I'll go, yeah. 
I think less time to sync with the Titanic. Less time to watch the movie Titanic. <laughs> just to be contrarian. Okay. But also, okay. I mean, I feel like it would it would take a while for it to fully well, I guess sync. sync. Yeah, it's true. It's so That's huge. true. We're talking yeah. the entire process. Right. I think it sync really fast. What is it? What was it? Sync with the ship. All right. Yeah. The movie is actually longer yeah. than <laughs> the actual ship sinking. Yeah. All right, last question. In January 2010, what book was banned from a Southern California elementary school for less than one week due to, quote, not age-appropriate content? Hmm. Huh. Banned for a week. Banned for one week. So it, it was it was banned huh. and then there was an People overturned. Like yeah, not age-appropriate. I don't know. Is it like one of the Judy Bloom books, maybe? Or no, are you there, God? It's me. Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter. Here's a clue. Right. It is nonfiction. Oh, oh, oh! This was uh, uh, this was Anne Frank. This was the Diary of Anne Frank, right? Incorrect. Mm. I know why the caged bird sings. It is the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. What? <laughs> oh, did they find like <laughs> swear words in the dictionary well, and banned it? Not wow, age that's, appropriate. That's great. <laughs> the ban lasted one week. Yeah, yes. and then people were like, "What?" Come on. <laughs> All right, good job, Brains. Thank you, Logan, and thank you, Clyde, from all the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire stuff. So this week we are going to talk about something that hopefully is not depressing. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. We're going to talk about flops and failures. Oh. Now flip, flop, and fly. I don't care if I die. Now flip, flop, and fly. I don't care if I die. Don't ever leave me. Don't ever say goodbye. Sounds depressing. I tend to hope that all of our shows aren't depressing, <laughs> just in general. I don't know. All four of us started smiling as soon as you yeah, said flops and I failures. Think, I think people love reading about <laughs> failures. The bigger the failure, the more fun it is. In the world of popular culture, one of the biggest failures of all time, synonymous with the word failure, is New Coke. Yeah. I think we should talk about New Coke. It was the... Let me set the stage. So I was alive during this, but I was only five years old, so I wasn't really paying too close attention to any of this. The day was April 23rd, 1985, and the Coca-Cola company called a massive press conference to announce um, what, had, what was already sort of predicted would be a change to its formula. In fact, it was already known it would be a change to its formula because Pepsi executives had managed to get a six-pack of the new formula uh, smuggled out to them. It and was they had huge corporate espionage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so people already knew um, that they were reformulating Coca-Cola. And what exactly was it? It was actually just they had really had a big hit with Diet Coke. Diet Coke was not Coke with the sugar replaced with aspartame. It was a different formula. Right. It was a different and flavor. So, right, it tastes right. different. Not New, just from the, the fake sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had it, There were different flavors in there, and it was formulated to be a pleasing drink even with aspartame versus sugar. New Coke was just the Diet Coke formula, but with high fructose corn syrup replacing the aspartame. So the first question is, well, why would they do this? At the time, Coca-Cola was actually in the process of losing market share to Pepsi. 
Coke was not maintaining its dominance in what were even then known as the Cola Wars, right? Pepsi was actually gaining on Coke. Coke was still number one, but Pepsi was getting up there. Yeah. Pepsi was considered to be a little sweeter than Coca-Cola. Maybe people like that. Maybe people wanted something that wasn't as sweet, whatever. But there was a lot of back and forth over what, you know, sugary beverage you were going to buy. Uh, but Coke was losing market share. And another rationale for this is that they had run taste tests. And in every single taste test that they ran, the, the overwhelming majority of people, they tried Pepsi, they tried uh, the original Coke formula, and they tried New Coke. And so many people said the best one was New Coke. Huh. They were like, this is the tastiest one of these three. They were really sure they were onto it. Yeah. So they had declining market share and they needed to come in and you know shake things up. And they had a product that Focus Test told them was the superior product. In blind taste tests. So they had the this product that they actually knew, you know, as best they could tell, was actually better. So they go in there and they make a big announcement like, we're changing up the old formula. And what they just absolutely did not expect was that the, the many, many years of goodwill that they had built up with the Coca-Cola brand and the, you know, the flavor of Coke being the same, you know, from when you were a kid in the 1950s all the way through the 1980s and uh, that people had really... Even though they they were losing market share, the Coke fans really were so attached mm -hmm. um, to these decades of, yeah. of goodwill that they had built up. And the backlash was just insane. Thousands of phone calls a day to Coke headquarters. Yeah. Anybody that they could get on the phone, they'd yell at them. People hoarded. There were people buying, like, I mean, very rich people, but they would they would rent a wine cellar and they'd buy up all, <laughs> the, they'd buy up all the Coke they could get their hands on and put it in a wine cellar. Oh Thousands of cans hands and bottles and they were hoarding it and it just it didn't matter how it tasted people just wanted coca-cola that as they remembered it they would have no other the failure was just an absolute failure to recognize that was going to happen and it was a failure of messaging it was a failure of introducing the product um, but it was also that they were putting out the new formula and removing the old one and so a common misconception is that they immediately realized the error of their ways pulled new coke off the market put regular Coke back on the market, massive mea culpa, and that was it. Half of that is true. Immediately, July 10th, 1985, so just a couple of months later, full reversal, and they took regular formula Coca-Cola, uh -huh. and as we all know, rebranded it Coca-Cola Classic, yeah. and yeah. put that back on store shelves. But new Coke stayed on store shelves huh. for many, many years after that. And one of the other crazy things about this is they actually kept classic. It was still technically called Coca-Cola Classic. Does anybody want to like take a guess as to when they finally took classic off the cans oh, and just changed it back to Coca-Cola? I remember it being sometime in the 90s. I really don't remember when. Mm, no. Let me think. Was it because or of I something? Seem to. It was not. It was only finally because they were just like, this doesn't need to be on here anymore. Got it. Yeah. When was there it? was no reason. The year was two thousand and nine. Wow. It has those cans have said Coca Cola Classic up until just wow. a couple of years ago. Yep. This was also really the big switch from sugar to high fructose corn syrup, right? It was contemporaneous with it, but it was not because the sugar to high fructose corn syrup had nothing to do with the switch. Okay. There's a yeah, there's various conspiracy theories around this, like they did this to mask the switch yeah. from sugar to high fructose corn syrup. Not true. They had already switched to 
to high fructose corn syrup in the regular the formula Coke. before New Coke. Got it. Um, the conspiracy theory is they deliberately engineered this as a marketing ploy. I mean, as near as anybody can figure, not true either. It really was a yeah. big mistake. But Coca-Cola, in the end, within a year, had come out of this smelling like a rose. Because what had happened was... By taking the product away, they revived people's sense of loyalty to that mm-hmm. product. Like, you heard us. You All these, you know, <laughs> millions of people went out and, like, Coca-Cola is part of America, like, mom and apple pie and baseball, and how dare you take it away from us? And when they reintroduced it, they won the Cola Wars, right, you know? They right. actually, they turned that failure into a huge success because, you know, sales of, of Coca-Cola Classic then got to the levels that they had wanted it to. Now, Pepsi, as I found when I was researching this, had done something much worse, like much stupider. Um, it, it had less of an effect. Uh, they really stepped in it with this. And I can't even believe this exists, but you can find images of this. In 1989, uh, the Pepsi company picked up on stories that people's coffee consumption had been decreasing mm. and people weren't drinking as much coffee as they were. And Pepsi misinterpreted this as a market opening for a caffeinated beverage people can drink in the morning so they increased the amount of caffeine in pepsi and released it as pepsi am i remember Pepsi <laughs> AM. i remember that which i mean that just strikes me i mean i know that there are some people who might enjoy drinking caffeinated cola in the morning as a way to wake up but it's, it, it just strikes me as so gross yeah and so weird yeah. yeah can anybody guess what the the takeaway was from pepsi am as in why it was actually a bad branding even if you assume that drinking cola in the morning is okay, hmm. which I am not willing to concede. I'm guessing that they advertised early in the morning when their target audience wasn't up yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the takeaway from this is you don't say that your product is only for one specific ah, time of day. Right. You don't right. actually say that because then people would go into the store, see this, and be like, well, it's not the AM, so I'm not going to drink this. I'll look like a fool if I don't drink it in the morning. <laughs> I, I drink it after 12. Oh, that's yes. true. Yep. And in fact, I mean, if you look at coffee now, I mean, one of the big things in the explosion of the coffee market has been just turning it into an all-day, all-the-time beverage, a sweet snack for after work. Have a frappuccino. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, there's, like, you can drink coffee whenever you want. Drink it at night. We talk about inventors on the show a lot. You know, one of the reasons that inventors fascinate me is because I think the, the greatest inventors in history, they're not afraid of failure. They embrace yeah. failure. It's just another it's another milestone on, on the road. Exactly. And, you know, I think you need to be a little bit bold and crazy and just the right balance of ignoring failure. Okay? <laughs> you know, you do need to learn from it, but you also need to be able to shrug it off. You got to recoup. I'd like to talk to you guys about a man who I think perfectly embodies the spirit of ignoring failure. Cool. That's like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> well, it, I'm giving it. A, I'm giving the man as nice a compliment as I can. It's such a strength when you're making things to be able to bounce back from failure. It's exactly, and not let it get you down. So, like a lot of other inventors we talked about, Franz Reichelt is one of those guys who did not know the meaning of the word quit. He was uh, born in Austria around the turn of a century and moved to France in 1898 to make his fortune. And uh, he started a dressmaking shop in Paris that, by all accounts, did pretty well. He was a pretty successful guy, you know, doing his thing. Single, successful man in Paris. Um, Ooh la la. Yeah, you know, he, they, he never <laughs> married. Uh, and it sounds like he, uh, he sold a lot of dresses to uh, tourists and things like that. Did pretty well. But somehow, by 1910, Franz had become obsessed with the idea of creating parachutes. 
So this is, you know, 1910, turn of the century, like that previous 10 years is just the, the booming beginning of the aviation Ooh, age. Yeah. Planes, they're not novelties anymore. They're not just crazy inventors. They're a big part of military life and businesses. And the field of aviation was moving so fast that safety wasn't always necessarily <laughs> keeping up with it. You know, when there were aviation accidents in this era, they were spectacular and they were gruesome. Oh. And so one of the earliest safety devices that they were developing was parachute basically to get the pilots out of the plane in the event of catastrophical failure. Um, in air. Yeah, in the air, making emergency evacuations, yeah, from the plane. So there was this whole field of money to be made in parachutes that were portable and wearable and could work at low altitudes, like in emergencies. So our boy, Franz Reichelt, made this his life's goal of perfecting the emergency parachute. Being a dressmaker and a tailor, he was really handy with fabrics and sewing construction okay. and not afraid to whip something up. It sounds like he actually actually had some early success with kind of wing-based suits that he would build out of fabric with some rubber and some supports and he would kind of flap out and, you know, you might imagine like a Batman kind of suit, basically. So he would just glide. That was the thought, right. So he ran some tests with dummies that weighed about as much as a normal mm -hmm. adult and he would strap on his device and push it off the upper floors sure. of the building and it would <laughs> gently glide to the ground and right. he was oh, really, really encouraged oh. at first. Oh, man. So he took his prototype and... I'd be so scared if I was just a bystander <laughs> Like, Whoa. <laughs> it's in a Batman outfit. Like a <laughs> flying towards <laughs> <laughs> So he took his prototype to the Aero Club of France. And now the Aero Club was a fairly prestigious early aeronautical association. I mean, this was founded by Jules Verne and Andre Michelin and, you know, big names uh, to sort of encourage and foster wonders of aviation. So he took his prototype to them and they basically said... Don't waste your time on this, buddy. Like, they were not encouraging at all. They basically uh -huh. said, we don't think this is feasible. This is not going to be safe. But, of course, in the spirit of great inventors, Franz was not deterred. What and, do you know, Jules? Bird? Yeah, what do you know? You dummy. So, right around this time, there was a big development that really spurred Franz on. In 1911, one Colonel Lalance announced that there was a prize of 10,000 francs awarded to whomever could come up with a truly portable emergency parachute. And by truly portable, he meant, you know, no more than 25 kilograms, which was a, a big hurdle for Franz because up until this point, his suit weighed 150 pounds. Whoa. Yeah, it's which like is a it was okay. about three times the limit they were looking for in terms of portability. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was motivated. Uh, so he kept on testing and kept on testing. And now I should mention at this point that he decided to stop testing primarily with dummies and start Aww. testing primarily with a human specifically himself. Uh -huh. oh, so no. he was willing to put himself on the line. So he kept on testing and refining his suit. And I'll say things went poorly. Uh, on one early jump, you know, he pretty hard landing. About 30 feet, he fell, but he landed on some hay. Another jump he took, he broke his leg from about 25 feet. So around this whole time that he's testing, for about a year, he had been petitioning the authorities for the right to run dummy tests off of the Eiffel Tower. And this was not unheard of. Like, they had authorized other kind of tests and things of uh, scientific nature. And ultimately, he did get permission to go up and run a test there. So oh, no. on February 4th, 1912, uh, he rolls up to the Eiffel Tower with his friends and all of his equipment. And, you know, he's alerted that the, the press is there. The police are there. They've roped off the area. I mean, this is official. Like, he's gotten uh, permission to do this. The only thing is, he's gotten permission to do this with a dummy. Yeah. And of course... 
being Franz Reichelt, oh. he decides, no, I'm going to do this test myself. Oh. So he gets there, and he's dressed in the parachute, not a dummy. And his friends are like, this this is not a good idea. His friends are telling him, we, we don't think you should be doing this. You haven't done successful tests with this thing yet. But he's really convinced that he just needs a little bit more height to work it. He is confident oh. in his invention. <laughs> Darn it. This is about failures, right? Um, <laughs> I don't want this. So no nets, no ropes, no nothing. He gets up there and he says, you know, Man. I'm going to show you how much I believe in my device. So he climbs out to the outer edge of the deck. This is the lower deck, the Eiffel Tower. He stood there for a while, kind of gathering himself, smiled, leaps off the edge, oh. spreads his arms... And plummets to his death. Oh! 185 feet below, oh. killing himself instantly. Oh, no. Instantly. Instantly. They did take him to the hospital, it sounds like, but there's there's no doubt that he was killed on impact. Oh. Yeah. All the press was there, so they were not kind. They really were kind of pushing at the story of crazy madman, you know, jumps to his death under right. the eye of the police. And the police really had distress. Like, no, 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 no. We we did not give him permission to jump. We thought this was right. going to be a dummy, dummy. jump. Right. Yeah. So they were wanting to make sure that they were off the hook. One of the reasons that Franz Reichelt is really remembered, you know, maybe more than he might have been otherwise, is that the entire event that I just described for you was captured on film. Uh... It was not just photographs there. There is, if you go on the internet, of course, in the age of YouTube, and you can now find it even as an animated GIF of Franz making his historic leap of of faith slash leap of death. His friends really should have tried harder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Friends don't let friends jump off the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) One of the newspapers the next day, some wag made the comment that he may have been a mad genius, but only half of that was correct. Oh, Oh, journalists. So snarky. This isn't going to lighten the mood that much, (laughs) a little bit. But I'm going to talk about the dot-com bubble and then the boom and burst. And we're from California. We're from the Bay Area where basically the heart of this stuff. And we were growing up, we were entering the job market or about to enter the job market right when all of this was happening. And some of my first big grown-up parties were dot-com parties. (laughs) They were awesome. They were open bar and lots of food and all sorts of... I was so impressed. There were foosball tables. Yeah. It's like, what is this website for? Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're exactly. going to figure that out after the launch party. Right. Yeah. 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 That's exactly it. I have a quiz <laughs> about the name. So at the uh-huh. time, they, a lot of the sites wanted to differentiate themselves from their competitors, and this still happens. And so they take kind of a nonsensical word mm. and right, try right. to create brand awareness. So they'd spend tons of money on parties and marketing right. and ads. And I have some dot-com failures, some names of companies that failed. I'm curious if you guys know what these companies do (laughs) or or what their product was. There may not be an answer to some of these questions. Well, they were making something, but they didn't always work. (laughs) Yes. All right. Kibu.com. K-I-B-U. Wow. That sounds like a... We're not starting with the easy ones. Sounds like a dot-com name. No idea. Foreign language. (laughs) K-I-B-U. It could be a a portmanteau. Uh, You know what? (laughs) 
I'm just going to guess it's a travel site, just to just to oh, get the ball rolling. Right. You know what? Just to get the ball rolling. That's a good guess. It was a teen girls community site. <laughs> oh, okay. So that wasn't a good guess at all. Well, but, but I, thank you for I, thank you for humoring I, me. I would, if you said, oh, Kibu.com, I, I booked my flight on Kibu.com. I would be like, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. <laughs> teen girls gossip, is that what you said? Uh, community, community site, sorry. like chats and okay, articles. All right. and like, wow. What about flues.com? F-L-O-O-Z. Oh, that sounds familiar. You guys know that it. That one I remember, I, I yeah. I believe that this one was um they would uh deliver groceries to your house no no they were they tried to oh, oh. the virtual currency yes. they wanted to be like <laughs> yes. the internet currency i got it confused with yeah. yeah you would buy um their currency and then you could use their currency to spend on things right yes. and it, they never really answered the question of why don't i just use my credit card <laughs> to buy the things They're like oh it's safer yeah <laughs> Maybe. i guess like, like paypal I Don't think they were trying order. to sort of cash in on that window of when there was internet uh, commerce, but yeah. people didn't really trust entering their credit yeah. card. It was true, yeah. I mean, there were people who were just like, I mean, when I was like buying things on eBay and even Amazon, people were just like, is it safe to buy things on the internet? Yeah. You enter your credit card in? Didn't they have, I think they had uh, Whoopi Goldberg was their spokeswoman, yes. I think. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about beans. <laughs> beans oh, yeah. was another okay. online currency. I, I'm sure that they deliver groceries to your house is coming up at some point. That's <laughs> yeah. getting ready for it. Here you go. Webvan.com. <laughs> they deliver groceries to yeah. your house. Yeah. 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 Good Thanks. job, Chris. Boo.com. B-O-O. Oh. Karen. It was an online retail store for like clothes yeah. and yeah. furniture. I think mostly clothes, right? Yeah. And they also have like baby stuff too. It's yeah. A bunch of stuff. It was, I remember it, it was so funny. I remember like when boo.com came out, it was like, I was first, it's a big deal. I was first getting started in like web design. Everyone was like, Oh, have you seen the boo.com site? Have you seen boo.com? And then like, I was like, Oh, I'll go check it out. And then like two months later they were out of business or something like that. So I was reading about it and they said it went out of business because of the website, <laughs> because the JavaScript and the flash was so kind yeah. of clear. <laughs> How about pseudo.com? P S E U D O.com. Oh, pseudo. Yeah. I remember pseudo. They did a lot of like early web video. Yes. Yeah. So is it like YouTube? Like Hulu. More like Hulu oh, than YouTube. Oh, pseudo. Yeah. But that was before people had broadband. So it was hard to stream. <laughs> I mean, like they were before their time. How about cosmo.com? K-O-Z-M-O. Oh. K-O-Z, of course there's a Z. I think these guys were another delivery, but wasn't it was like, we'll deliver anything? Wasn't it that their pitch? Yes. Whatever you want, we'll go out and we'll buy it and we'll bring it to you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like a pack of gum can't, and can't some DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> it costs too much for them to just deliver stuff to you mm-hmm. within an hour, too. It was awesome. Whoa. But I, I think I only knew about it for one month before it went out of business. <laughs> right. What about pop.com? P-O-P? Yeah. Pop.com. Pop.com. What What is it now? I tried to get there earlier. I couldn't. Nothing came up. If you need a father, (laughs) they will go out, find one, and bring it to your house. Within an hour. Same day. Yeah. (laughs) So Pop.com was a Steven Spielberg, Ron Howard project. And I think it sounds like it was online multimedia movie tours. And it had a similar problem that Pseudo had where nobody could look at this content Mm, because it was took too long. too high tech. Yeah. What about go.com? 
This was Disney. I knew you would yeah. know this. This one. was a this was <laughs> yeah. a Disney, but it was like it was sort of an undefined Disney web portal oh, for doing Disney stuff yeah. that they never really figured out. Right? Because if you go to the the park websites, they're all go. go. Dot com. Di- yeah, go. All dot of, Disney yeah. World. This is a big go. Deal. Dot- oh, I don't know about all, but I know a lot of the media properties still are like ESPN even yeah. still has ESPN.go.com. Yeah, they still use it because you know it's go.com. But... Right. They were kind of like Yahoo. And then this was maybe the spokes child. <laughs> yes. Failed internet.com startups. It was pets.com. Oh, yes. Yes. What did they sell? <laughs> uh, pet supplies. Pet supplies. Not pets. Not, not no. pets. Yeah. But yeah. Pet supplies. Their famous mascot is a sock puppet dog, right? right? right. And I was reading articles about the dot-com boom, and they said, yeah, when you want the kitty litter, you actually want it right now, not yeah. in a couple of days. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> like, your, your cat is not going to just poop on the floor for a few days while you wait for pets.com to deliver your kitty litter. Anyway, so anyway. creative failure. <laughs> Can't someone bring this podcast back up to happy? Anyone? Maybe I can. Can you? Maybe. All right. Okay. I'll try. Let's see. So, Chris, you talked about New Coke. I have sure another did. food product failure that I want to share with you guys. I'm going to ask you this. What does cheese products and uh, intimacy have in common? Mm. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I have some answers, but I think we'd change everything. <laughs> I'm going to say very little. <laughs> Farting. <laughs> The correct answer is, well, it should be nothing. It should be nothing. <laughs> nothing in common. But so, that's not the answer, is no, it? That, that oh, is, no, that is very sensual. <laughs> <laughs> we know, of course, the brand Cosmopolitan. I just call it Cosmo. Cosmo, yes. <laughs> it's right. Biggest selling women's magazine company. They actually had some success with brand extension in the UK and Australia. Not in the States, but in other countries. So mm-hmm. they would have Cosmo brand of this type of item and this type of item Hmm. actually um they launched their own brand of bed linens okay and that was very successful okay so which kind of makes sense because cosmo's all about like sexy tips and it's like oh and i have linens the connection is there yeah okay Mm -hmm. sure in 1999 cosmopolitan surveyed a bunch of people Mm -hmm. in the uk 65% 65% of Britons said that they use edibles or food in the bedroom for sexy and intimate activities. So this is a basically a poor reading of numbers and data. <laughs> Cosmo marketers deduced that, oh, well, that means we should launch some sort of line of food mm-hmm. that fits with the data. Sure. Sure. And sure. somehow the food that they decided to uh, settle on were dairy products. <laughs> this includes yogurt, ah. <laughs> soft cheeses, <laughs> something along those this lines. This was a committee decision for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and they were actually priced, especially the yogurts, they were priced even higher than normal yogurts yeah. because they wanted to seem like, oh, this is the sophisticated... This is a sexy yogurt. Right. <laughs> this yeah. is a sexy yogurt. It's sexy yogurt. <laughs> so it's very strange. I don't know how they arrived uh, at this point. They've had success. They're like, oh, well, you know, the linen sold really well. That sure. that means the Cosmo brand must be really strong. Mm-hmm. So if we yeah. attach this brand to almost anything, we can sell it. <laughs> no. That is that is not the case. Obviously, this failed. Yeah. Uh, uh, this has brought my mood up because I'm so happy this was <laughs> that this failed. Sure. Bed cheddar. Yeah, that's right. 
So unsurprisingly, the line was discontinued huh. within no, really? 18 months. Huh. Sexy yogurt did not sell. People didn't start hoarding that's... it when they heard it was going off the market. <laughs> <laughs> that's Anyway, that's six times as long as New Coke was, uh, was around for. That's so. true. That's pretty good. I couldn't find any reports on the taste, if it tasted good. Well, you know, there are two flavors, a Mediterranean peach uh-huh. and uh, there's a cherry. Oh, of course. <laughs> Sexy fruit flavors, I guess. Just go for it. Cosmopolitan actually had uh, more plans and at that time to expand their brand. So they were... <laughs> Romantic hot sauces. Mm. <laughs> there, there were plans for Cosmopolitan cafes. Actually, I think that's... Uh, cosmopolitan cafes could work. Yep. Cater to the ladies. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of sex in the city image. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a break. Uh, a word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back. You're listening to Good Job Brain. And this week, we're talking about flops and failures. So I would like to tell you the story of a product that was actually quite successful, but had something happened to it, was it just a fatal blow Hmm. that it never could have expected and could never recover from? Beginning in 1937 and going very strong until the early to mid-1980s, there was actually a certain dietary supplement. And what this thing was, it was a candy. Uh, Yeah, basically you would eat the candy and it would act as an appetite suppressant. So you just have a piece of it before meals. And there was a drug inside of it that acted to suppress your appetite. It was quite popular. It worked. It was so popular that it had, like, many, many television commercials and and radio commercials for this product. And I'll, I'll play you one now. I've tried fad diets, powders, pills. Still, my weight's been up and down like a yo-yo. Until the AIDS plan taught me how to take off weight and help keep it off. AIDS may taste like a candy, but AIDS contains one of the most effective appetite suppressants you can buy. Let the AIDS plan teach you how to take off weight and help keep it off. Try peanut butter AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of this before. That's going to be a problem. Peanut butter. (laughs) Try peanut butter AIDS. Try try peanut butter AIDS. Um, Yes, so the name of this wonder drug was AIDS. It was A-Y-D-S, as in it aids you. You know, you can help you lose weight. Aids you losing weight. Yeah. So... 
Um, what was in AIDS was, it was an, it was an oral anesthetic that you guys have maybe used uh, at some point in your life. It's called Benzocaine. It's the name oh. of the oral anesthetic. Oh, yeah. And it numbs your so, mouth. So, like cough um, spray. It, yeah. Like yeah. That, right? So if you have a cough, if you have a uh, canker sores mm. or whatever, and you need to numb something in your mouth, you might use, it's over the counter Benzocaine. And they would put it in chocolates. Then you would eat one of these chocolates with a hot drink and you would essentially numb your mouth. What this would do is when you then sat down to eat a couple of minutes later, food would not taste as good so you'd eat less of it if they did clinical trials you will just eat less food and you'll lose weight you can i think buy them i mean not the aids brand uh which is long <laughs> gone but they, they sell things like slim mints today like you know they do basically the same thing ah. but it's kind of fallen out of favor as a uh, diet plan because it's, it's tricking yourself today what we try to do with diets is we actually try to get people Be healthy eating the right, <laughs> yeah, kinds of yeah, thing. Yeah. right right rather than just yeah <laughs> not chicken um but and so this is a very unfortunate thing for autoimmune deficiency syndrome to come along take this product that had had this name since 1937 and suddenly as you turn that perfectly normal <laughs> totally inoffensive commercial into something incredibly offensive and or hilarious depending on who you are um, possibly both yeah for that to come <laughs> yeah. along and do that and that was just something unfortunate but here is here's the fail in all of this it was made by a company called Jeffrey Martin Incorporated. They told Time Magazine in 1985, when Time was writing about this product with its unfortunate name, what they said was, the product has been named AIDS for more than 45 years. Let the disease change its name. Oh. <laughs> they doubled down. They, they did. Like, they doubled down. Oh. They're like, we are not going to change our name. You can change the name of the disease. Oh, no. Take that, The, the company, yeah, yeah, the company was soon sold, and the new uh, CEO of the parent group, when asked, said... Obviously, with a name like AIDS, we'll have to do some remarketing. Yeah. <laughs> Following this up with, obviously, our product does not give anyone AIDS. <laughs> I just want to go on uh, now, the record. So this new uh, executive now realizes, okay, clearly we should you know, do something with the marketing and the naming of this product now. Now it's like 1987. Um, the, I believe it was the New York Times ends up talking to like a branding expert who suggested, she said, oh, they should change it. They should come up with a new name that also incorporates the old name. So she said they should call it Skinny from the Makers of AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> so they still didn't quite get it. Um, in, in, even though it was purchased by a new company, uh, they went over it and over it, and they finally, in 1988, oh introduced, they were like, we've renamed it, everybody. <laughs> After all this work, they renamed it to, I am not making this up, Diet AIDS. Yes. <laughs> what? They get it. Because they get it. Because they get it. That's why. <laughs> This whole thing, it was yeah. just a slow motion train wreck of marketing. Like, somebody was like really digging in. No, this yeah, has been around it. a long time. It was, it was it. a failure to uh. realize what was going to happen. And yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what it is? It's, uh, it, we may have talked about this in the show before, but it's the sunk cost fallacy. The idea that, oh, I, but I've spent so much money in this case, marketing and building this brand name since 1937. We've invested millions and millions of dollars into it. We can't just dump it all and start over again. It's, a, it's it's a fallacy. Like, you can't just look at all the money you've thrown after right, something. Right. You have to make the right decision. <laughs> 
So when I was a kid, we used to take a lot of trips to Seattle. I remember one trip, I was probably eight or nine, and we were at a science museum, and I so clearly remember this moment. Uh, you know they have those little video kiosks at science museums of demonstrating physics or gravity or yeah. things like that. I remember seeing a video there about physics and engineering failures that has stayed with me to this day. And this video, it just encapsulates failure. If you're an engineering student or an architecture student, you're probably going to know what I'm talking about as soon as I start describing I think it. I, I think I even know. And I think all of you may have seen this video in the past as well. So what I'm talking about is the collapse of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. And if you don't know the name, you may know it just from the description, which is it's a suspension bridge famously caught on film, swaying violently, violently, ultimately collapsing into the river below. And just rolling, right? Rolling. Yeah. Undulating. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's no drama here. You know, sometimes I like the stories that build up to twists or dramatic moments. There's no Franz Reichelt twist here. The bridge falls down. Okay. So end of story, the bridge falls down. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to go build up to that. The bridge was only open Four months. Oh. Uh, it was really doomed from the beginning. Hmm. So, so suspension bridges, part of the appeal is that they're very delicate and long and slender looking. And this one really was one of the most kind of slender that, that had been built up until that point. The problem ultimately ended up being it was not able to withstand the wind mm -hmm. in the area. You know, looking back, it seemed like this should have been <laughs> easy to fix. It's not like high winds were a mystery. I mean, people knew <laughs> you're above a gorge and people knew there were winds in the area. Yeah. As they were building the bridge, even, they were starting to get really nervous because, you know, the construction crews noticed that when the winds were blowing even moderately, the bridge would move. And when I say move, I mean move. Mm. Not just the normal swaying that comes with even a normal suspension bridge, like the Golden Gate moves a lot. This would be rocking and moving up and down. Ports of people getting seasick, people not wanting to work on the bridge. The workers sort of semi-affectionately named the bridge Galloping Gertie. <laughs> even as they were building it because of its tendency. Why didn't they just stop? Well, so because it's partly a government project, you can't stop. As Chris was just talking about, oh. sunk costs as part of it. They needed a bridge there. They really, this was an important bridge. They so rather than go back to the drawing board, yeah. they were sort of building improvements into it as they were going. Oh, oh yeah, that'll totally wing it. What they realized too late was the bridge was basically finding its perfect harmonic vibrating frequency. This is what I remember from really? class. And yeah. any architecture or engineering yep. or physics student will, will come across this at some point, when you get just the right amount of wind moving across it, it'll generate motion that's self-sustaining. Mm -hmm. And on this one perfect day, the morning of November 7th, 1940, the winds were just a little bit too high, and the bridge, which had been sort of waving motions before, now started rocking back and forth in a perfect standing wave. So mm -hmm. the left part of the bridge would go down, the right part would come up, and back and forth and back and forth. So it had been doing it all morning. People were still driving across... <laughs> Going across the traffic, no. you know. As I say, it was not totally unheard of of this bridge to move and sway. And it was even kind of, oh, that bridge, that's just what it does. Whoa. But then it started getting really bad to the point that people were fleeing the bridge. Yeah. And, yes, get off the bridge. And so thanks to a man named Barney Elliott, we have our the most well-known footage of the collapse. He, he owned a camera shop nearby, so he had access to some pretty good equipment. Um, so he went out there and started filming. Really, the video, if you didn't know it was real, you might think it was faked. Uh, it was like just so exaggerated and violent. If you it saw looks it like in a something movie, out of a Mickey Mouse cartoon. It you know, really with does. The, you know, with, with landscapes rolling up and down. Important question. Did anybody die? 
No people died. Oh, good. Now, Karen, I have to say, unfortunately, <laughs> a dog. No, a dog. one dog did die. Oh. It is sad. There is the tale. Um, I mean, they talk about it in terms of it's amazing that the only casualties were one dog. There was a dog who was sadly, he was trapped in a car. And oh. people tried to get the dog out of the car, but they, he was freaking out. And they just they couldn't get him out of the car in time. And again, if you watch the film of this, people are literally running off the bridge oh, at the end. No. They didn't rebuild it for about 10 years, partly because it was yeah. the war and partly because it was really expensive. And they wanted to make sure they understood what they had done yeah. wrong. Also, nobody yeah. would drive across it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's cursed. Everything has its own natural frequency. Yes. And once it gets matched, that's where the oscillations start. That's why, you know, those opera singers who sing and then they, they shatter glass. It's because their voice vibrations match the natural frequency of glass. And that's, that's why it, it explodes. Mm, that's absolutely right. right. One famous story, I don't know if this is like a misconception or not, is that in the military, when troops have to march everywhere, especially when they have to cross a bridge, they actually tell everybody, walk at your own pace. Break step. No, walk that however is, you want. That is absolutely 100% true. Just in case. No, and they still do it today. It's not just in case. This is a very real danger that if everyone is marching in step across a bridge, it will bring it down. And this isn't just to be careful. They've actually had to do that. Yeah, as you say. Mm -hmm. And this is a, an example yeah. of that. Once it starts rocking on its own. They, yeah. The old saying goes. Don't drive across Save your it. dog. Yeah. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. So I have one last failure tidbit for you guys, and this is actually excellent trivia fodder for your pub quiz or quiz competition. I found out that there is one movie that is financially the biggest box office flop of all time hmm. worldwide, oh, and this okay. is with inflation adjusted. Hmm. Do you guys know what movie? Is it recent? In the 90s. Hmm. Okay. Huh. I mean, I know the legendary ones were always talked about, like Ishtar was one, oh, yeah. and before that, mm -hmm. Heaven's Gate was yeah. one. Um, Total net loss with inflation adjusted, $147.2 million Oof. of net loss. Wow. It's got to be some big budget or big star that they were mm -hmm. banking on. Was maybe. it that Travolta one? The battle? Oh, Battlefield Earth, maybe? It's not a bad It guess. stars Gina Davis. Oh, was it Cutthroat Island? It was Cutthroat oh, Island. Really? Yes. Right. Eight years before Pirates of the Caribbean, there was this attempt to make epic pirate movies starring Gina Davis. It was a total disaster. Wow. Because of this flop, no one touched pirate material uh, until mm. Pirates of the Caribbean. Studios just thought it was unbankable because of cutthroat island so there you go number one money losing movie of all time cutthroat island That's interesting all right lots of fails and flops <laughs> only luckily only one person and one dog died Oh, that's true. The whole show. That's true. compared to the tally for some of our shows and dana you have a last segment for us these are terrible laffy taffy jokes oh. <laughs> so, joke fails joke fails pose the riddle to you guys you tell me the answer yes keeping in mind yes. these were written by children well allegedly written by children. <laughs> <laughs> 
what flies and helps people? Uh, uh, Superman. Ambulance. An ambulance. Oh, oh, wait. Um, what flies and helps people? Nurse bird. Uh, oh, nice, nice, nice. Accountant hawk. <laughs> you ready? A helidopter. Oh, yes. oh, oh, it was yeah. close. Helidopter. When was meat so high? <laughs> In college. When was meat so high? What does that even mean? Yeah. When was oh, meat so... when the cow jumped over the moon. Yes. Oh. Yeah. It's horrible. <laughs> at least, at least say I like, beef. I like my answer. Where do fish sleep? Uh, they sleep on a... Sealy mattress <laughs> in a waterbed. In a, uh, in, in a waterbed. Mine is so much better. This <laughs> is the last one, right? What do you call a chicken crossing the road? Dead. Uh, <laughs> um, ambitious. Oh, jerk, I think I know. Is jerk this chicken poultry in motion? Yes. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I, I've heard this one before. I didn't just make that up. Pol- 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 poultry wow. in motion. Poultry in motion. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good job. A... Enjoy your joke fails, everyone. <laughs> Sucks the soul right draining. out of you. All right. Thank you guys for joining me. <laughs> sorry. And, and... I just want to say sorry. <laughs> Hope you learned a lot about failures and uh, groaned a lot at bad jokes. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on our website, goodjobbrain.com. And check out our sponsor at bonobos.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks. It's going to be an old quiz. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.